I did not want to be gay. Mm. I mean, I really deeply, deeply did not want to be gay. I, I was really depressed for quite some time uh, when I realized that I was probably never going to be straight because mm. I had this vision of what my future was supposed to be as a good Christian. Mm. And it did not involve being gay. Mm. And yet, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but like I hear Christians, well-intentioned Christians say really hurtful things to LGBTQ folks and to others, um, clueless to mm. how their words that they, that again, that are well-intentioned are pushing people away from Christ. Mm. And I think I would almost certainly have been saying a lot of those same things if it hadn't been for the fact that I was gay and that I got to experience the other side of, mm. uh, you know, you know, for so many years, I hadn't understood growing up why some of my friends were so turned off when I was like preaching at them and stuff. And uh, then I got to be on the other side of the preaching and I was like, oh yeah, this doesn't feel very nice. This is not winning me over. I know that there's something so special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me feeling fine. So just say the words, cause you know what it means to me, babe. When you got me, you got me, you got me feeling right. Your eyes, your eyes, Hello, people. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 103, and it's part number four of our series called The Church Has Been Wrong about LGBTQ people. And today we're sitting down with Justin Lee, who wrote a book called Torn, Rescuing the Gospel from the Gays versus Christian Debate. Go to Amazon pronto and uh, pick up this book. It is a big, big help, and I'm not going to tell you much about it because we talk about it uh, in this episode, and I think that you will find it um, extremely helpful, um, as I did as well. Next week is our final installment of the series uh, we're going to be talking to my friend December Wells, who is actually someone I work with at Apple uh, very closely. We share a desk together. Uh, we are with each other for about eight hours a day. Right now, we're both working from home, but we're still uh, in, in touch with each other all throughout the day. Uh, but we sat down on a lunch break and we recorded uh, the episode. So I'm really excited to share that uh, with you. And uh, I'm not going to say anything about it. Uh, You're going to have to come back next week and uh, find out all of the things about why December Wells is one of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, That'll be the last installment of the series, and then we move into July and August, where no series, just some random conversations about this, that, and the other thing from a whole bunch of wonderful people with various perspectives on various things. So I'm excited uh, to share that with you, and that'll lead us into September when we will start kicking some other hornet's nests and see uh, see where the spirit leads. But all that to say, uh, a couple things before we roll the tape. Uh, number one, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support the podcast. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, you want to throw a couple bucks at it, uh, head over there. There's different tiers of giving. Every tier gets its own reward. Uh, So be sure to check that out. Uh, The Heretic Shop, if you want to buy a t-shirt, sweatshirt, blanket, pillow, stickers, mugs, jackets. I mean, we got everything going on over there. 
head over there, uh, check it out. The link to that will be in the show notes along with Patreon. And then lastly, but certainly not least, but I think is the most important, uh, our Facebook group. We have a closed Facebook group, about 170-ish people in there. And uh, everybody's in there cheering each other on in their faith. Everybody's at various walks, various places in their walk with God. Uh, Some people are walking closely with God on the Christian path. Some are walking closely with God and they're not sure what path. Some people are like, I don't even know if there is a God or what this God stuff is about. But everybody's in there cheering everybody on. Nobody's trying to convert anybody. Nobody's shaming anyone with Bible verses. No one's arguing. Uh, People are asking questions, sharing resources, sharing ideas. And it's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. So head over there and check it out. Patreon, Heretic Shop, and the What If Project Facebook community. All the links are in the show notes along with some stuff as well. Uh, from our guest today, Justin Lee. Special music today is from my friend uh, DJ KDOT, another one of my friends at Apple. Super encouraging, wonderful human being. Uh, Head over to Apple Music, head over to Spotify, all the places where you listen to good music. Download her stuff, share it, do the things, pass it around, and uh, show her some, some love. So again, thank you for dropping by. This is episode number 103 and part number four of our series, The Church Has Been Wrong about LGBTQ people. It's my conversation with Justin Lee. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Today, we're sitting down with my friend Justin Lee uh, to talk about some things revolving around LGBTQ inclusion in his book, Torn, which is subtitled Rescuing the Gospel from the Gays versus Christian Debate. So, Justin, my friend, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to talk with you. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, thank you. So before we get too far into um, a discussion, maybe you could kick things off by telling us about yourself. You know, who are you? What do you do? Some of the, the highlights of your journey. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, I grew up in a very conservative, uh, deeply devout evangelical home, uh, attending a Southern Baptist church. I was... Uh, I acquired the nickname God Boy in high school <laughs> for being the kid who was <laughs> who was always ready to preach at everybody all the time. And um, you know, so my my faith, my Christian faith, has been at the center of my life mm. for as long as I can remember, ever since I was really little. Um, and one of the things that went along with that growing up Southern Baptist was this idea that Christians ought to have certain views on certain controversial. Uh, cultural issues. And one of those was, as I would have said at the time, homosexuality. Mm. And uh, so, you know, my attitude was essentially love the sin or hate the sin. Mm. You know, I, I didn't want to um, treat anybody disrespectfully. I certainly didn't hate gay people. I didn't think that I was homophobic. uh, But I believed that being gay was a sin and, and a choice. And, um, I believed that the liberal media was, uh, you know, making homosexuality seem okay and causing kids to accept themselves as gay when 
they weren't gay. That wasn't what God wanted them to be. And uh, so it was sending them down a wrong path and, you know, all of the, the kinds of things that you've probably heard yeah. from other I Christians. grew up in the same kind of uh, evangelical setting. So, okay. So Speaking you- my language, <laughs> <laughs> well, my old language, I should say. Yeah. I mean, and you know, and it, so I really thought that this was a, a very reasonable biblical Christian position. Sure. And um, there's a very good chance that that would still be my position today were it not for the fact that I started to to realize as a teenager that uh, I was attracted to guys and not girls. Mm. And it was something that took me a really long time to admit, admit to myself. You know, I, I considered myself straight. I dated girls, uh, but I was never attracted to them. And so it wasn't until I was 18 that finally the light bulb went on and I realized, oh, there's a word for guys who are attracted to guys. And that word is gay. But still that was something that like, I refused to be gay because Christians can't be gay. Gay people can't be Christians, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I looked into what were then called ex-gay ministries, Christian organizations trying to help uh, gay folks become straight and Mm. discovered long story short, that that uh, didn't work, that, that the folks who had been represented to me as the success stories of the movement, many of them I ended up meeting and they were not the success stories that people thought that they were. Mm. And many of those people have since come out and admitted that it, that it wasn't true, that they didn't mm. become straight. But at that time, the public narrative was still that, that they had become straight. And so when I said to my Christian friends that, you know, I was starting to doubt that these folks had become straight, like they were all like, well, that's not very charitable of you. You know, mm. clearly they have, uh, but, but they hadn't. And so I, that really turned my world upside down because um, I didn't, I couldn't abandon my faith. I didn't know how to reconcile it with being gay. Mm. I had always been led to believe that being gay was something God didn't want people to be, but, but I didn't know how to not be attracted to the same sex. You know, Mm. I could be celibate. I could marry a woman I wasn't attracted to. But none of that changed, you know, what I was feeling on the inside. Sure. And so ultimately, um, I started speaking out publicly. I wrote my story online, initially just for my friends to kind of share with my friends because, you know, I couldn't just keep this all bottled up forever. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I found that when my Christian friends found out that I was gay, uh, you know, I wasn't dating anybody. I I wasn't sexually active. You know, I was just admitting what I was feeling. Mm. Um, they all had the same lectures and the same Bible passages and everything. And I, I sort of wanted a shorthand way to say, here's what I've been through so far over the last few years as I've been struggling with this, read this story first, and then let's talk. So I, I wrote my story and I put it online and somehow it went viral. And this was in the nineties when there were not a lot of gay Christian stories online. And so all of these people from all over the world started writing to me and saying, you're telling my story too, but I'm afraid to come out. I'm afraid for anybody to know I'm a pastor. I'm a parent. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm married. I I have kids. I have grandkids. I, you know, if anybody knew what I was experiencing, I would be shunned. And I thought, okay, I may not have all the answers here. I may not know all of the answers to all the biblical questions and everything yet, Hmm. But I do know that the church shouldn't be a place where people are afraid to be honest. Yeah. And so um, before I knew it, I had become, I was in college and I had become this, uh, this spokesperson for, mm-hmm. for LGBT, well, first for gay Christians, I should say. Mm-hmm. And then later on, sort of more broadly for LGBTQ Christians. 
um, you know, and everybody was turning to me for answers. And I was like, I'm still trying to figure out the answers myself. But mm-hmm. um, it ended up uh, becoming this this thing that has uh, defined my life, that uh, God has used what was something that I didn't want to actually uh, use me to make a positive impact on others. And so I've spent my entire adult life um, talking to Christians about LGBTQ stuff and uh, trying to help people get support. I, mm-hmm. um, I've spoken around the world. I ran what was a very influential nonprofit for 16 years. I've written two books, one called mm-hmm. Torn and one called Talking Across the Divide. Um, and then now I'm running a new nonprofit called Nuance Ministries, and we're working to help pastors and parents and others get this conversation right and also to help LGBTQ Christians find the resources and connection that they need. I've got a YouTube channel where I make videos about the Bible and fighting polarization. I've got Mm. a video and podcast series where I interview influential people in the space. And, um, and I've been doing a lot of speaking, um, although (laughs) during the pandemic, it's sort of been virtual events. (laughs) Um, And as well as, you know, private uh, consulting with pastors and others who are trying to figure out how to get this right. So, you know, Mm. I'm, I'm staying busy. That's amazing. What struck me most when I read your book was how, you know, you talk about in the book, I think one of the chapters is entitled God Boy. And you talk about how, you know, you were raised in this evangelical setting. You were, you were the answer guy, so to speak, with, with the Bible. You knew your Bible inside and out. And you, had, you were raised to believe this certain thing about gay people. And then all of a sudden, you had to come to a place where you accepted that because that was part of who you were. And I thought it was just fascinating the way you can almost see the way this, the Holy Spirit was working in your life to bring you from this point to this point, now to where you are now, where you're actually like a bridge builder between those two worlds. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting throughout scripture, how often something that seems like it's the worst thing turns out to be a vital piece of the yeah, story right. that moves things forward, you yeah. know? I mean, and you see all these stories where, you know, uh, Joseph gets uh, sold into slavery and you think, ah, oh, the worst thing that could happen. And then it turns out to be this really pivotal moment that yeah. puts him in the right position to be used by God for something great. Or even the the idea that, that Christianity is centered on that the the son of God, uh, the the Messiah is is killed, is mm-hmm. executed, and you think that's the low point of the story, but it turns out to be the most important moment in Christianity. And so, um, I've I've learned in my life that you know it's often the things that that we we don't want, the mm-hmm. things that in the moment seem like just the worst. That um, you know I don't want to say. God causes those things to happen because I don't always think God causes those sure, things to happen, but sure. I think God uses those things. Yeah, I think I can use the the worst times to bring about some sort of good. And I think yeah. even when I look back over my own life, I look at times when I was involved in something. I'm like, there's just no possible way that anything ever good can come out of this. And now I look back <laughs> on it five, 10, 15, 20 years later, I'm like, wow, like if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't be where I am today experiencing what I'm experiencing now. Well, you know, if... I, I did not want to be gay. Hmm. I mean, I really deeply, deeply did not want to be gay. I I was really depressed for quite some time uh, when I realized that I was probably never going to be straight because hmm. I had this vision of what my future was supposed to be as a good Christian, hmm. and it did not involve being gay. Hmm. And 
yet, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but like I hear Christians, well-intentioned Christians say really hurtful things to LGBTQ folks and to others, um, clueless to mm-hmm. how their words that they, that again, that are well-intentioned are pushing people away from Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think I would almost certainly have been saying a lot of those same things if it hadn't been for the fact that I was gay and that I got to experience the other side of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, for so many years, I hadn't understood growing up why some of my friends were so turned off when I was like preaching at them and stuff. And uh, then I got to be on the other side of the preaching and I was like, oh yeah, this doesn't feel very nice. This is not winning me over. <laughs> um, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't feel good to to feel like somebody's looking down on you and, and that they um, aren't really listening to you. They don't really understand your experience that they think mm. that they have the right answers for you before they've even heard your questions. Yeah. And experiencing that is what it took to wake me up to the ways that I had not been a good representative of, mm. uh, of Christ. Mm. And so um, it was tough to go through, but I'm glad I went through it. So maybe tell me a little bit about what are some of those, you know, you said about words or phrases that Christians are well-intentioned in saying, but tend to push LGBTQ people away. And I ask that because we have a lot of people that listen to the podcast who are a lot of people who are moving out of that evangelical world. They're in that, you know, quote, deconstruction phase. We have other people who are still in the evangelical world, but they're trying to figure out, you know, do I really fit here? Is there something different that I'm being led towards? So like, what are some of those things that people say that are well-intentioned that might push somebody away? Take us a little deeper into that. You know, I, I think a lot of it is um, people wanting to be loving. I mean, mm. like you take a phrase like love the sin or hate the sin. Yeah. The thought behind it is good. The mm. thought behind it is, uh, you know, God hates our, our sin, but mm. God loves us, even though we commit those sins. Yeah. And that's certainly true. But when you say that to somebody, when you say, you know, love the sin or hate the sin, um, or you or you take that kind of uh, attitude, even if you don't use those words. What you're doing, maybe without realizing it, is making the the person who you're referring to as the sinner feel like you. Even if you say, "Well, all of us are sinners," it feels like you're you're putting that person on a different level. They're a different kind of sinner. They're a sinner in some way that you're not a sinner. You know. Mm. And it feels very condescending. It mm. feels like, like, like you're looking down on them and saying, look, you know, I'm the one who's got this all figured out and I'm going to tell you, what, you know. And when I was growing up, I thought that I understood everything that I needed to understand mm. about homosexuality. And I always put that word in quotes because I actually don't think it's a very helpful word because sure. it can mean so many different things. It's got a lot know? of baggage to it too. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. It does. So that's a whole conversation. Yeah. But, um, but I, but you know, for me, it was a, it was an issue to talk mm. about the issue of homosexuality. And I knew what the Christian position was on the issue. And I could quote Bible passages, to, you know, here's the Christian position on the issue. Yeah. And I thought that I understood a lot of stuff that then when I realized I was gay, I, I realized, oh, actually, I didn't understand a lot of these things. Hmm. And so very often I found that when Christians found out that I was gay, they also assumed that they had answers for me. Um, and they would try to lovingly give me the right answer. Hmm. But, you know, it's maddening when um, somebody's trying to solve your problem, but they haven't actually listened to you yet. And yeah. they don't actually understand 
what you've been through. They don't know what you've tried. They don't know what you've experienced. They don't know why you've made the decisions that you've made because they haven't walked that journey with you. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's very, very frustrating. And I think one of the things that all of us as human beings uh, have to learn is that um, when we find ourselves in conflict with somebody or on the opposite side of an issue from somebody, one of the most powerful things we can do is just sit down and listen to them. Even yeah. if you think that you have all the answers for them, you know, that's not the place to start. Unless they ask you, please tell me what your answers are. Um, very often people just want to be heard. They want yeah. to be known. And we, we fail to do that. And especially when it comes to this topic, we tend to treat people as issues where we think we need to solve the issue and what people want is, is to be treated as people, to be heard and, and listened to and not treated as, you know, uh, a representative of the LGBTQ community, but right. as this specific person who's had a specific set of experiences and made a specific set of choices for specific reasons. And you don't know what those are until you've heard their story. Yeah. And that takes time. Yeah. I think in my experience in the, in the church, um, again, growing up evangelical, the the church seemed to view um, LGBTQ people as problems to be solved as opposed mm -hmm. to people to be loved. And even in calling, you know, LGBTQ a sin, it was always like that sin's bigger than this person's sin over here. And like this person is still a person to be loved, but this LGBTQ person is a problem to be fixed. And I, I think that was part of the, one of the things that really started me rethinking a lot of my thoughts around this topic was because I remember being a pastor and dealing with an elder board who mm. kind of felt that way. And I remember sitting in these meetings thinking to myself, this just does not jive very well with what I feel like Jesus was all about. Like something about all of this stuff that I've been taught all of my life about LGBTQ, all of the clobber verses, like it's all falling apart in my mind that I don't know what to do with it. But it was like in that moment that I remember feeling like this just doesn't feel right to treat somebody yeah. like a problem and not a person. Yeah. And, you know, I'll even take it a step further because one of the things that I see happening in a lot of evangelical churches right now, that's where I spend a lot of my, my time, is <clears throat> there's a, a slow realization, I think, that the way that we, I still identify myself as an evangelical and a lot of my friends uh, really hate that term. And I, I'm kind of growing to hate Another it. Another one with a lot of baggage. <laughs> it has so much baggage. Right. And, uh, <laughs> So, you know, if that's a, if that's a, you know, horrible term to you, then forget I said it, but, um, <laughs> but you know, these are my people, right? This yeah. is, this is, this is where I, I came to Christ. And so I still think of the evangelical church as my, as my church, right? So, sure. um, but you know, I, I think we're realizing in, in evangelical churches that we've, that we haven't gotten this right and that we've, um, not always treated people as, as you said, as people to be loved. However, what I'm seeing is some churches that are kind of getting that far, but then without realizing it, maintaining a kind of air of, um, of condescension that comes across as sort of like um, uh, pity or, you know, mm -hmm. sympathy without empathy, um, if there's even sympathy, mm -hmm. um, where it's... <laughs> It's like I, I see sometimes churches put together committees to talk about LGBTQ issues. And these committees say things like, you know, we really need to, to treat these people as, as human beings. We need to love them. We need to be compassionate to them. 
And I, I kind of have to say, well, okay, but you're still saying them. Like right. there aren't LGBTQ people on the committee. Yeah. Um, I saw a, an episode of Parks and Rec the other day <laughs> where there's like a, a council that comes together to talk about uh, gender equality or something in the, in the town where the, the show takes place. And the council is made up entirely of old men. And it's like, okay, (laughs) if if we're talking about sexism that exists in this town that needs to be addressed, there should be some women present on this committee to, you know, share their stories and to be part of the conversation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so many times there's this kind of unspoken assumption that like, if you're LGBTQ, then you're somehow biased. uh, And so you can't really... Uh, be a, a part of the conversation in in the same way that non LGBTQ folks can, and it's like, well, we're talking about us. We we need to be part of this and 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 help to lead this conversation. We have a lot to share. Amen. Now you quote some uh, some research in your book, and you have this one um, piece from the Barna Group where they asked uh, sixteen to twenty nine year olds to choose words that would describe um, Christianity, and one of the statistics you share is that. Uh, not only did 91% of the non-Christians describe the church as anti-homosexual, but so did 80% of church people. So 80% of church people who took this survey described their own um, their ho- own home, their own institution, their own whatever you want to call it as anti-homosexual. So talk to me about that because that's a staggering st- statistic, I think. Like a huge part of the church recognizes that this is that this is in existence in the church. So like, what exactly do you think that that does that tell us? And maybe like a step further, since you spend so much time in the evangelical church, like what, how do we address it? What is the way to move past this to get unstuck? So a few things, you know, one is I I always say to people whenever I talk about this particular uh, study, Hmm. um, I I encourage folks, if they don't know this already, to to say gay rather than homosexual, which, you know, most gay people would prefer the term gay. Um, They did say homosexual in the study. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, and that was a a quote right out of your book I read. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's... uh, it is shocking and and upsetting. Well, not shocking to me, but I mm. think to to a lot of folks. I um, was very shocked when I read that. I was not expecting that to be the case. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the and the thing is, it's interesting because when they were asking these young folks if they thought that that Christianity is is anti-gay, they didn't follow up by asking them, do, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? It would be yeah. interesting to know how many of them said, "Yeah, it's anti-gay," yeah, right, and right. how many were like, "Oh, this is what I don't like," you know. Mm. Um but I do think that's a that's a common perception. I suspect and that study was done a few years ago. I suspect that if you were to do it now, um, that you would also have this sense that Christianity is um, uncomfortably linked with modern day politics in a way that mm. that upsets a lot of people. But those are the two things: the the political aspect and and the kind of anti LGBTQ aspect that. I think are driving a lot of young people out of the church yeah, and not just LGBTQ young people, but their friends and their family members. And, you know, and so it is, it is a reputation that we have as Christians that, that we need to do something about. One of the things that I often say to pastors who say, look, my church is a safe place for LGBTQ folks is that's wonderful. We need you to 
make that clear to folks to stand yeah. up and let people know because mm. a lot of people still have this impression of the whole church and they don't realize that this is not true everywhere mm. um not all churches are unsafe for lgbtq folks some are very welcoming and and supportive of lgbtq folks mm. but because this perception of the whole of christianity exists it's all the more important for christians to take a stand and say not just in spite of my Christianity, I support my LGBTQ friends, but because of my Christianity, yeah. I believe that it's so important for me to stand up for folks who uh, have not felt accepted, who have not felt loved, who have not felt supported. Mm. Um, because I do think that that is a very Christian thing. I mean, I don't think there's really any question about how Jesus would treat LGBTQ folks if Jesus were walking the earth today. Yeah. Um, you look at how Jesus treated the people in his day who were considered by religious folks to be the biggest sinners. Well, those were the people who were Jesus's closest friends. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, Jesus is accused of being a, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of right. sinners. And I think, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a much better reputation for Christians than what we've got. Right. Um, I do think things are changing, mm. but I think that our our reputation has not caught up with the amount things are changing and I think things need to change more and it's up to us to make sure that they do. Yeah. Now, earlier you said that, you know, one of the, you know, one of the best ways maybe to bring um, the LGBTQ conversation to the table is to obviously invite LGBTQ voices to the table to talk about the issues. And like, I, I'm, I was thinking back on, I saw on Facebook a while back, there was some kind of big organization, very conservative that was, having like an LGBTQ conference, but everybody who was speaking was like a, a straight white male, you know? So it was like, it was kind of like defeating the, the purpose, but I'm thinking to myself, like, like back at the church that I pastored, um, it was a, it was a very conservative evangelical church and, you know, very, I would say now very anti LGBTQ. Um, but it was still like our mission statement was everybody's welcome everybody's welcome to come here. But I knew behind the scenes kind of what was going on in terms of the conversation revolving around LGBTQ. So I put myself back there now thinking I would love to have like a conversation like we're having, you know, like in church yeah. or have a, some kind of a quote conference, whatever, and invite people to come and take part in this conversation. But I know that even though the church says it's safe, I know as the pastor, it's not going to be a safe place for you. So mm -hmm. like what, what do, what, what does, what, what can pastors do to, maybe try to create more of an atmosphere where a conversation like this could happen if they're not at a place right now where it can happen. Is it, is it even possible to do that? Cause I, I would hate to see somebody think, wow, this is a great idea, but then invite someone like yourself to the table and they just get hammered. Well, I mean, you know, it depends a lot on the, the church, what the environment is there. And, mm. you know, if, if you're bringing somebody in say to speak or to lead an event um, who you're bringing and, and what they're comfortable with. I mean, yeah. I, I do a lot of work in churches where they're, they're, this is still really early in the conversation for them. Mm. So like I've, I've spoken in a lot of churches where, uh, you know, I, I do get tough questions from folks and mm. I'm okay with that. Mm. Now there are some other folks who might not be okay with that. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's, that's the the work that I do. And I, and I have to give props to those churches for, and to those pastors for being willing mm. to tackle this because sometimes 
you know, they get hit hard for even being willing to have the conversation right. or being yeah. willing to invite somebody like me. Sure, you know? sure. Um, but I think all the more for churches that, uh, you know, really do want to be safe places, you know, where this is not a, 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 a question, but this is something that they feel like, no, we, we know as a church who we are and we, we want LGBTQ folks here. Mm. I think it's really important to give LGBTQ folks the opportunity um, to be heard. And, and, and it's not, it's, it's not as simple as just, I mean, I'm, I, I love when folks invite me to come speak. I mean, you know, that's just my bread and butter. So by sure. all means, invite me to come speak. Right. But it's important that you not ask one person to represent the entire LGBTQ community. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm gay. I can tell you what it's like to be gay in an evangelical church. I can't tell you what it's like to be bisexual. I can't tell you what it's like to be transgender except mm. by telling the stories of my friends, you know, right. but I can't tell you in my own experience. I can't tell you what it's like to be an LGBTQ person of color. Mm. Um, I can't tell you what it's like to be a, a woman who is also part of the LGBTQ community or somebody who's, you know, gender non-binary or, you know, like there are lots of other experiences that, that are not mine. And so when I, when I'm invited to speak, I do try my best to raise those, those folks, you know, and to, to share their stories and their experiences as I've heard them. But mm. I also think it's important to have a variety of voices and, um, and, and to give multiple folks a chance to, to be heard and to share their stories or, or participate in the conversation to whatever extent they're comfortable. Um, and I always say, if you don't know people in your congregation who are LGBTQ, um, it's not because there aren't any there, mm. um, but it's because the, the folks who are there don't feel comfortable enough to say that they're LGBTQ and the folks who feel comfortable enough aren't coming to your church. Yeah. Um, and that, that says that there's some work to be done there. Yeah. And that's actually a good segue into another thing I wanted to ask you um, in the book. And you mentioned it earlier as well. You talk about how you, you struggled with accepting that, that you're gay and mm -hmm. that wrestling match that you had in your mind and your heart to attach that word to yourself and how for a long time you tried to, to hide it, but you have this part in the book where you talk about how everyone around you seemed to be almost like poking fun um, at gay people, all the while not realizing that you yourself were gay because you hadn't come out to them yet. And then you have this quote, you say, uh, though none of them knew it, they were talking about me, laughing at me, condemning me, and it was really getting to me. So maybe talk to that, talk to me more about this, maybe talk to the person listening who maybe they are LGBTQ, but no, they haven't they haven't come out yet and they're afraid to come out because you know all the voices around them that matter the most are talking using this negative language when it comes to lgbtq people like what what do you say to that person who's who's hiding who they really are because they're deathly afraid of what those closest to them are going to say and it's funny because as you read that quote out of context it sounds very melodramatic to me <laughs> <laughs> um you know and so yeah, as you as you said, like the context of this is, you know, I was a, I was a teenager, I had realized I was gay. I hadn't told anybody. I was holding all this pain inside, and so in that very fragile emotional state, it was like all of these little jokes and comments and things that I might not have even noticed otherwise suddenly felt like they were directed at me, even though of course yeah. they weren't intentionally directed. It's like at under me. a magnifying glass, like you're you're yeah. seeing, yeah, like when you buy a new car. And it's like, you see everybody else at the same car as you do, but you never saw it before, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's it's that, that that psychological trick, you know? Right. Um, 
So, but, but it, it did make me realize having that experience made me realize how many times, you know, I must've made comments mm. um, that, that I hadn't realized uh, had, uh, you know, an impact maybe on somebody else before I had really attached a, a, a human element to this conversation. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I still, to this day, I regret that I may never know, I probably will never know um, of, of folks who I might have wounded with my words before I realized that, that it was important to talk about this in a different way. Um, but yeah, you know, you asked about, about people who uh, are in that space right now who are, uh, are scared to come out. Um, I think, you know, I would say that the good news is that things really are getting better. Um, I, I talk to people all the time who are afraid to come out, afraid to come out, afraid to come out, and then they finally do, and things actually go much better than they expect. And people who they think are going to give them a really hard time don't give them a hard time. And, you know, so things are improving on the whole. However, that said, uh, everybody's situation is different. And coming out is a very personal decision. I, I don't ever push anybody to come out before they're ready because, yeah, um, many people have an experience where it's not nearly as bad as they think it's going to be. But I don't want to push somebody to come out and then they have a terrible experience because they're in a space where they really do suffer a lot of consequences from coming out. Mm. But I do think whether you come out publicly or not, um, or if you're thinking that you would like to come out publicly, I think it's really important to have a, uh, a personal support network, to have people yeah. who you can trust, who will be there for you, who you can confide in and know that if things go badly or if they don't, that these people will be right there for you. Mm. And it's great if that's a local support network, if you have local friends or family members who you know will support you no matter what, and you talk to them first and then, you know, with them supporting you, then you, you come out. Um, but if you don't have that, there are uh, online groups and places and organizations that you can get connected to where folks will be that for you. And if you have trouble finding those, feel free to contact me uh, and you know, I, I can help get you connected to, to groups that are you know, within your particular Christian tradition or appropriate to your situation. But having that kind of support, I think is incredibly important. Um, you need to know that whatever your situation, um, if you're LGBTQ, if you're wrestling with these questions, if you are a, a parent of an LGBTQ person or a pastor who's uh, really afraid of uh, what this conversation means in your congregation and you're you know, scared to even talk about the fact that you're asking these questions because you don't know what it means, you know, whatever situation you're in, you are not alone. There are others who are in a very similar situation to you. And so um, reach out, get connected, and I'm happy to help make that happen if, if I can. There are so many of us who, um, who want to be there to support you. Mm. Maybe you could send me some of those links and I'll put them in the show notes for people as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah that would be really good. Yeah, I think, I think you make a powerful point. I mean, we're not meant to do, to do life alone. And it really doesn't matter what it is that we're talking about that we're going through, whether it's this, whether it's somebody who's in a, an abusive relationship or someone who has a drug problem or whatever it is, you know, we, we often think that we have to try to make it through by ourselves, whether it's because we think we need to be strong or because we're embarrassed or whatever the case may be. But having that support system around us, I think makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. You know, growing up, I, um, I never really felt the, 
the peer pressure as much as a lot of people I know did. Mm. Um, I, I had so much support from my parents and from my church that honestly, like when it came to, uh, you know, matters of like other kids in my class trying to encourage me to, to cheat or, or do something that, you know, I was taught not to do. Mm. I didn't, I didn't feel like it was that hard for me to say no to them. Mm. And Growing up, I think I just sort of thought, well, I'm just, I'm such a good Christian. (laughs) Right. But looking back, I realized that part of why it was relatively easy for me to to do that and to be known as like the goody two-shoes Christian kid was that I had this support from my family and from my church. I I knew that I had their back, that they had my back, that if, you know, if I came home and said to my parents, the kids at school were, you know, teasing me about this or that, they would say, well, you know, you did the right thing. And, Mm. you know, and, and my parents' opinion mattered so much to me. When I came out, my parents had always been taught that, that being gay was a sin. Mm-hmm. They were not supportive. It took them a long time to learn as it took me a long time to learn that, that we hadn't gotten everything right on this. My church wasn't supportive. Suddenly I didn't have any of those support networks mm-hmm. and that was really difficult. And that's when I learned firsthand how important it is. Cause as you said, we're not meant to do this kind of thing alone. That's, that's mm-hmm. why church is important. It's why Christian community is important. And if your own Christian community and your own family are not there uh, you know, supporting you, it is really difficult. So you need to get that support from somewhere. Yeah. And what was it like for you to, you know, you talk about how, you know, you had the support of your family, had the support of your church, and then you um, came out and all of a sudden you didn't have that support anymore. And obviously a big part of that is because of, you know, those, those verses in the Bible that speak about these, these apparently, supposedly they say speak about this, this issue, but what was it like for you um, being the quote God boy and knowing so much about the Bible, like what was that wrestling match like for you as you went back to this book that you had read in this one way for so long and then you had to kind of look at it differently? Was this like a, was this months of digging? Was this years of digging? Was this, was this like sleepless nights of wrestling? Like what was that like for you? Oh yeah. All of the above. All of the above. (laughs) It was, it was years of, of wrestling. I mean, Mm -hmm. Growing up, what I realize now is that I, I began asking a different question. Because growing up, it was like, if I was looking to see what the Bible had to say about, quote, homosexuality, yeah. I was looking at it as just an issue. You know, homosexuality, pro or con, yeah. yay or nay. And it was really easy with that mindset to look at, I mean, let's take a you know really famous passage. In Genesis 19, you have the Sodom story, right? Mm. Where, uh, you know... Famously, you know, I, I grew up hearing that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. Right? So you look at yep. that story, you just sort of gloss over it. And it's like, well, okay, is this homosexuality yay or homosexuality nay? Well, it's clearly <laughs> nay. So, you know, what debate is there? <laughs> you know, um, when I realized I was gay, then I was asking a different question. It wasn't homosexuality yay or nay. It was, okay, I'm attracted to the same sex. Nothing I try, none of my you know, years of late night prayers have, have changed that. I can't make myself become attracted to women. What do I do? What does mm-hmm. God want me to do? What are you supposed to do if you are a Christian who's attracted to the same sex and you want to serve Christ? How do you do it? Mm-hmm. Well, then with that question in mind, you go and you read Genesis 19. Well, it's this story about 
angels who come to this wicked city to warn Lot, the city's going to be destroyed for its wickedness. And then all of the men of the town threaten gang rape against the angels. And it's written in a way that suggests that their intent is violent rather than sexual. Mm. Uh, there's this, you know, Lot offers his daughters. and I mean, it's this whole weird story. Right. And, uh, you know, you and I could spend hours just yep. talking about that. A passage. whole series of episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I've written a bunch of stuff where I talk about it for people who, you know, want to hear me dig into that. But mm. for me as this teenager who'd realized he was gay and was trying to figure out what to do about it, that passage is not helpful because mm. none of that related to my situation. I'm like, well, this, <laughs> this doesn't give me any advice about what I'm supposed to do. It's not right. about people like me. This is about some other thing. I don't know what's going on, but it's not what I'm experiencing. And it was a similar kind of thing as I was looking at these other passages, like none of these passages are really giving me a lot of support. And that's, it is difficult to explain that. I just took a bunch of words to explain that concept. (laughs) It's difficult to explain that to somebody who just wants to quote a passage and say, you know, there's your answer. Homosexuality is a sin. The end. It's like, okay, but this is a passage that's talking about attempted gang rape, which is not what I'm dealing with. So whether we end up saying God supports same-sex marriage, God doesn't support same-sex marriage, whatever, um, this passage is still not helpful to me. Mm. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, it was really tough to have those conversations with some of my Christian friends. And you know, particularly as I was spending hours alone with my Bible and the Holy Spirit trying to figure out not just what God was saying in those passages, but, but really trying to, to understand where they fit into the broader narrative of scripture. Right. And it was ultimately spending time saying, okay, let's go back to Genesis and, and you know, what's God's intent for humanity and for relationships. And what does it mean that God created Adam and Eve? And, you know, and, and, and from the beginning, you know, going through the Bible that I was able to start seeing a lot of things that I hadn't, seen before but it took me a long time to figure out how to understand all this in a way that fit together because i didn't want a quick easy loophole kind of argument sure i wanted something that made sense that all held together yeah i think it really i know for myself like i used to cling to those you know six quote clobber verses because that's you know that was the the way that i was raised and this is what the bible says and i believe it and that's the end of it you know it's right there in black and white and mm-hmm. I find now like that I've, I've kind of moved and I've evolved that not only did my thinking evolve about those verses, but my thinking evolved about how to read the Bible. Um, it's no longer this, you know, this book that like, is just this, you know, it's from beginning to end, it says the same thing and that's it. But now I see it as these, this collection of these letters and these poems and these things and these stories that were written over the course of thousands of years to certain people and certain cultures. And, what was going on in those times and those places tell us a lot about why the things say what they say. So digging into all of that brings so much more to light that we miss if we just give it a blank, you know, surface reading. And I find myself now getting so frustrated when I engage with somebody who's holding on to those six verses like I was, because they're not willing to look at the context yet. And like, I'll try to explain the context of a verse or the context of a of a word and talk about, well, the Greek word means this or the Hebrew word. Well, it says in my Bible right here, homosexuality. So my Bible is in English and that's just the way that it is. And I was, <laughs> it's kind of like trying to get past that is so 
frustrating to me. So, well, you know, the thing is, as Christians, we should know that we have to understand the Bible in context. In its, in its, mm. uh, in the context of of the rest of Scripture, in the context of the culture in which it was written, and so forth. Um, we do that on anything else. I mean, even uh, you know, Southern Baptists like like my church. Uh, I remember in my church asking questions about, um, you know, uh, the passage where it says that you know women shouldn't speak in church. What does yeah. it mean? Women shouldn't speak in church. Well, women in my church didn't have to, you know, be silent while the you yeah. know it's the, from the moment they entered the church building. What does that mean? Right. And you know, and my Sunday school teacher, I remember, had this whole explanation. So, well, you have to understand what was going on at the time when Paul was writing this, and you know, the the cultural context of this, and you know. We have to take that into account as we apply it. We do this in so many other passages. I've got a video on YouTube um, where I dig into a bunch of this called um, Homosexuality, the Bible, and and uh, Nuance. And uh, I talk about how some of the Christians who came before us, unfortunately, got it really wrong on slavery. Mm. And um, what can we learn from the ways in which they got the slavery question wrong? And um, so we we know this, but I think... When you find that someone is not willing to hear a different interpretation, a lot of times it's because they're afraid that you're you're going to ask them to start pulling this one thread that's then going to cause everything to unravel. Yeah. If if the church that taught me how to read this passage was wrong about that passage, then how do I know they were right when they said that you know Jesus died for my sins or that God is real or that you know anything, mm. and um. And I, I find also that um, a lot of times what's really underlying in addition to that is, is a lack of understanding of LGBTQ people's experiences. A lot of folks who've been taught that, you know, for instance, that being gay is something that people choose or that if they went through the right therapy or trusted Christ, then, then they could become straight um, or that it's really just about sex and that it's not, you know, that. Yeah. people of the same sex who fall in love aren't, it's not really love it's just you know sex and yeah. and well you know uh, unmarried people have to abstain from sex so what's so hard about that and they they don't understand that there, there are all these other questions about loneliness and companionship and all this stuff that people are wrestling with it's really not until people have a chance to hear those stories and understand what it's like for lgbtq folks that they're really in the right uh, frame of mind to say gosh maybe I better take a second look at this scripture and see if it says what I thought it said. Yeah, that's really good. Well, Justin, we are just about um, out of time nearing the, the end of our, uh, our conversation. But before you go, I wanted to ask you, uh, what word of encouragement do you have for people out there who are trying to be um, LGBTQ allies? And that's, I have a, I have a Facebook group. Uh, we have about 170 people in there. And I did a poll uh, for the series that we're going to be doing for Pride. And I said, I'm going to have these different people on, you know, what's one of the questions you would want me to ask each one of them? And overwhelmingly, this is the question is, I want to know what can I as an ally do better to be more supportive of my LGBTQ friends? I think one of the keys that, that I always uh, say to folks is it's important to learn how to speak up for marginalized folks without speaking for marginalized folks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you want to be an ally, it's important to, 
um, to take a stand and to be heard. Again, you know, if you're a Christian, be heard not in spite of your faith, you know, that you, that you support LGBTQ folks, not in spite of your faith, but because of your faith. Talk about the ways in which your faith leads you to that position. That is so important for us to hear because a lot of us who have grown up in the church and realize that we're LGBTQ have kind of been led to believe that we have to choose between our faith and our sexuality or gender identity. And, um, and that the folks who accept us are the folks who aren't really real, real Christians. And so when someone who is a Christian says, as a Christian, because I'm a Christian, this is why I believe that I must stand up for LGBTQ folks, that is so meaningful. But it's Mm -hmm. also important to know when to take a step back and say, you know what, rather than then, then me speak, let me, I'm going to speak up for this person, but then I'm going to step aside for a minute and let them speak. And like, and, you know, I'm going to share this, uh, this story that this person has written and, and let you hear in their own words, what they've experienced. Mm. So it's not just about me. Um, yeah. I think that's important for us to do in, in all kinds of areas, not just LGBTQ stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my, uh, my word, but I, I am so grateful to you all who are are willing to do that because it is, there's so many things uh, pressing on all of us and, and to take time to stand up for somebody who's, you know, whose issue is not your issue. It, it, it it says a lot. So good. And where can people find you um, online? What's the best place to find Justin Lee? So I am a huge geek uh, about pop culture and the Bible and all <laughs> kinds of things. So my website is geeky Justin, nice. G-E-E-K-Y Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N dot com. I always have to spell it. I, was, I did a talk a few months ago and said uh, at the end, I said, my website's geekyjustin.com. And I had this guy come up to me afterwards and say, did you say kinky Justin? Right, right, yeah. No, no, geeky, not at all. Don't search that. And there are links to my YouTube channel and my books, Torn and Talking Across the Divide, which isn't about LGBTQ Christian stuff, but is about how we... Um, deal with all kinds of issues that were polarized on politics and other things in this culture, but it's written, you know, with my faith as a backdrop. So um, yeah. And shoot me a message on there. If uh, I can be helpful to you, uh, if you need someone to come speak to your church, you know, <laughs> right. I'm happy to do it. And he does answer because he answered me. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Awesome. Justin, well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll do this again sometime. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you.